everybody, and welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today, and uh, we are so glad you're joining us for, I think, what's a big topic for us, Stace. Yeah. It's kind of, I know for you particularly, a mm-hmm. life, I don't know if life defining is the right word, but life um, impacting topic. Yeah. And it's something that you definitely can't escape and you have to live with every day. Really, what we're doing today is just kind of... Uh getting the elephant out of the room. Uh, We've referred to what I struggle with on a daily basis numerous times. And what we want to do is just dive in and start to really talk about the nuts and bolts that go into the mental illness of eating disorder. So we've we've tried to narrow it down and make it a simple thing that we can describe. And really what it is, is it is a life-altering illness. And so we want to just break it down, kind of unwrap what it looks like and um, just really share with you our journey this part of of our marriage this part of our kids lives of of our friendships and um, just really let you in on it yeah it's a it's a big deal and mm-hmm. it's a big illness and you know Stacy and I as we've said numerous times we're not therapists we're not professional counselors we're not psychiatrists but we have walked this journey and if there's any journey, Stacy, I'd say we've walked that's been consistent or it's this has been a consistent part of our journey yeah. for many, many years. For your journey for, for many part many years of your life is this journey of kind of living with and living in recovery and struggling with anorexia. Right. And I know that you have um, you've just faced a I mean, it's like a mighty battle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is a big illness, as Stacy said. And hopefully as we get into this, um, you'll understand that. Maybe if you're kind of walking that journey with us, you know how big of an illness this is. If you have a family member that struggles with the, an eating disorder, you know what that's like. And, and you maybe feel like I've felt many times kind of feeling lost or just, you know, just on kind of uncertain ground on so many occasions. But mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, we've talked about is I've had a chance to learn a lot of lessons and learn, learn a lot of hard lessons. And I think, Stacey, you've grown, you and I have grown a lot in that together. Most definitely. Um, and so, you know, one of the things when you talk about how big of an illness this is, I mean, eating disorders, it has one of the highest mortality rates of any, any mental illness out there. I think at different years, different studies, it's always kind of towards the top, if it maybe sometimes is the top, but uh, not to minimize any other mental illness or any other battle that that someone else has, but just to also stress, this is a big deal. Mm -hmm. These, um, I know, Stacey, you've said it, that anorexia has tried to take your life for many years, and and sometimes you've lived on that edge with it. Yeah, most definitely. And one of the main things I wanted to kind of start uh, with saying kind of a disclaimer that is a passe type way of thinking is that anorexia or bulimia is just um, the struggle of someone who wants to be skinny or someone who is vain, someone who only cares about their looks. That's really kind of an old way of thinking it's about, kind of shallow shallow yeah. way yeah and so there's so much more to it than that because with the anorexia uh and 
And that's what I'm going to speak about mostly because I've not experienced bulimia. I was in treatment with people with bulimia. But since I haven't walked that road myself, I'm going to mostly just talk to this. Even though they have some similarities, they also have many differences. But because with the anorexia, body dysmorphia, which means I look in the mirror and I never see myself realistically, um, that is, makes it under that umbrella of mental illness. When we think in a way that is irrational and we're not doing it on purpose, but rather because of the way our eyes see, the way our ears hear, the way our mind works, that's when it becomes under that umbrella largely. So um, I do want to stress that it is so much more than that. So please hang with us and listen about this um, because even if this isn't your struggle, we're going to hit on some other things that might kind of intersect anorexia. Yeah, and, and really for someone, Stacy, that, that maybe they can relate to you if even they've had something that has in their life battled um, the th- battle with something that's tried to control their life or even mm-hmm. take their life. Mm-hmm. And um, and also I think people can connect with the fact as you're going to see as, as this whole thing kind of weaves together the faithfulness a faithfulness of God even in the midst of the struggle. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of connection points. So if if, if you've battled anorexia or love someone that does, or maybe you've struggled with something else, I think there's a lot of connection points for you in this episode. And, and as you said, Stacey, we're going to kind of lay this out over the next few episodes and, and really share more in depth about this whole story. Our struggles really, when we need to talk about them in order to uh, lift someone up or help someone not feel lonely, they really do deserve the amount of time needed in order to really lay it out there. There are just a few words that I wanted to say about the faithfulness of God in the midst of a daily struggle. And um, I want to say, first of all, that he is still here. He has never gone away. And I want to say that he stays with grace, love, mercy, but also with help. Mm -hmm. Um, He has rescued me so many times. Now, do I rest in that and just go, well, I'm going to not do my part, as you'll see in a little bit as we're talking through this, because I know God's going to rescue me. No, what I'm saying is he's giving me tools and teaching me through other people, through professionals, also through his word, um, the Bible, uh, what to do in order to not just um, sustain life, but to really be able to thrive in life. And I go through seasons where I really am just trying to exist. But more than not, the control factor switches off um, of the anorexia controlling me when I allow God to control um, me through the tools that he provides for me. And that's when you know that you're getting better. And that's what we want to show you all in the next few uh, sessions about this, next few recordings about this. Well, and Stacy, probably just a great place to jump in is is kind of your story. As, mm-hmm. as you said, this is kind of laced through, um, woven through much of your life. And it's been a battle you've had to fight for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe just go back to where does it start? Kind of where do you see some roots of this? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the things I know that when you're in treatment and I had a chance to go and 
and be a part of some of the, the doctors and, and family kind of sessions. They talked a lot about how your environment plays a part, but also certainly it's an illness. And so the g- genetics plays a part too. But I think there's a lot of those things kind of woven together. So as you look back, kind of what would you look back on? So okay, I, I see and remember and even remember feeling this way and, and battling with this starting mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to refer to that you just talked about, Doug, was about um, when I was in um, treatment is that one thing I want you to hear me on about this is this is not something that we play the blame game with. Sure. I'm not blaming yeah. my parents. I'm not blaming myself. I'm not blaming God. Um it's just is what it is. I have more of a disposition, perhaps, a biological disposition toward an eating disorder because mm-hmm. of the chemical makeup in my brain. Um, yes, there were environmental uh, uh, things that added to it. Um, and that's what I wanted to start with talking about. Uh, when I was growing up, I know that Doug and I have shared our story with you, but this is what I brought to our marriage. This is the part that I brought to our marriage that was a very serious talk when Doug and I were even um, dating seriously before we even got engaged, had even gotten engaged. But my sister and I, um, growing up, she's three years older than me, Tracy. Um, she wa- and I were very, very skinny. Uh, we we were those kids who wore the super slim jeans, if you remember those in the 70s and 80s and stuff. And uh, it wasn't on purpose. Uh, it was something, some of it was genetics. Some of it was, there was a lot of stress in our family. Some of it was just flat out money issues. Um, Sometimes we didn't have a lot of money in order to get a lot of groceries. Um, And that's not because my parents weren't working hard. That is not a reflection of my parents um, not doing what they were needing to do in order to earn that paycheck. Uh, I think a lot of times early on in the ministry, a lot of pastors weren't really taken care of financially, and that's where we fell in. That's what, That was um, kind of our story. There was an emphasis also on outward appearance on, and I think this is everybody, not just in the ministry, but just yeah. everybody. You can have a knockdown drag out on the way to church in your minivan. You pull into the church parking lot. You get out, and everything is fine. Well, we were no different than that. We had struggles at my house. Um, There was a lot of stress because of lack of money. There was a lot of stress because of the different upbringings my parents had. Put those two together, and sometimes you can have a very toxic environment, and that's what we were looking at. And um, except it might not have been a minivan; it might have been the station wagon. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. 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 And you were riding shotgun in the back, and as you got out, that was the scenario. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But um, there was just a lot of stress. Um, I don't eat well with stress, as I've mentioned a few times. Some people, like I've said, will sit down and eat more when they're stressed. It's just our different ways of coping. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't plan and say, I'm stressed or I'm upset or I'm hurting or I'm confused or I'm overwhelmed. So to show everybody that necessarily I am not going to eat. That is a conditioned response, however, that I've gotten used to. And I have to really work on that every day is not letting that eating disorder speak for me, but to use words that God has given us the ability to use um, to describe how we are feeling instead of getting stuck and letting my eating disorder speak for me. 
Well, when my parents had been married 25 years, so I was 18 years old when they'd been married 25 years, they got divorced. And it was a, a really difficult time for our family. I don't know what family it wouldn't be difficult for. It was something that um, we saw coming, and it was uh, devastating in a lot of our community because of my dad's role in the community and my mom's role in the community. Um, we were, you know, not kind of um, unknown. People really knew and talked about it when my parents got divorced. And my mom and I, as a result of the divorce, we were living in California in an upper middle class area at the time. And my dad was in the ministry. We were in the ministry. And when they divorced, uh, we needed to um, split our family up. And um, I was a senior in high school, and it was um, March around that time. So uh, we had moved three time, two times my senior year already. So this was going to be my third time. And we packed up a U-Haul, and my mom and I drove it to Dallas, Texas. And when we got there, we got into a tiny apartment. And literally, God put a hedge of protection around us because of the area we needed to live in. And um, divorce is costly, and it's hard on everyone to say that it's less difficult on kiddos who are 18, 20, 25. It's just different. It's not less difficult. And so adult children experiencing it, no different um, in the amount of hurt that they can experience. And that's where I was. So I show up at DBU, Dallas Baptist University, and... I was excited to be there, but I was also very sad because my dad and sister were in California and my mom and I were here in Dallas or when we were in Dallas and I was lost. I, um, my sister and I had grown very close over the years and I felt like I was missing my right arm and it was very difficult. Um, so even though you were surrounded by a lot of other students and, and mm-hmm. became fast friends with many students... And your peers, I think there was still that really deep sense of loneliness and being alone. Yeah, most definitely. And it was so refreshing just to be around all of the energy of these new students coming in. I can remember seeing all these um, families coming up to the front to pack up, you know, to unpack their kiddos and everything. And that wasn't my story. Now, did I have other people helping me? You bet. But this is just the reality of divorce. It 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 leaves a scar. And um, I um, did quickly become friends with a lot of people. And um, I will never forget the first day when I was unpacking um, a friend of mine's car um, because she had helped me get up to DBU. I walked up to the co-ed area and I was like, Ten baseball players were standing there, and they were standing up against the wall, and um, they were just, like, looking so cool and everything, and we were all, all of us girls were just, like, spazzing out and just having a great time and stuff, and I can remember I looked over and somebody introduced me to Doug, and this was our first day of even getting to go on campus, and he was so quiet, and I was so not, and little did I know that four years later, three years later, we were going to start dating. Um, and, and, and we'll get to that and, and what this looked like for us more as, as time goes on. Um, and 
um, God just, every time I look back on that, I think of how cool that is, is that God um, let me meet the man I was going to marry at that time. Um, even though I was hurting and very sad, God was going to eventually bring a lot of joy to my life through somebody I had met the very first time I'd gone up to the co-ed of Dallas Baptist. Um, one of the biggest things was that um, when I got to college, I was offered three meals a day. And I... So that was a big change that was from a big the last change. probably six, eight months, really, of of your life for sure wasn't it? most definitely my mom and i and i'm i'm sure my dad and my sister we our lives looked very different financially um at this point for all four of us that it had even a few months before and we just didn't really have the money to get eat a lot of food to get a lot of food and so when i was offered three pretty big meals a day i was a pretty i was overwhelmed and um i was also thankful and I didn't know what to do with all of it. It was one of those things of um, I had always been very athletic, very active, and I began to eat these three meals a day and my pants st stopped fitting well and I couldn't button my pants. And um, as a freshman in college girl, especially I feel like, that was really embarrassing. Um, and my body, it's not that my body didn't learn what to do with it, but at the beginning it didn't, was like, whoa, hey, I'm not used to this. And I was still very active, but just not playing tennis 35 hours a week anymore. Um, and so, um, I was sad. I was eating three meals a day. I was excited. I was learning. I was alone. I was all over the board with this. I, it was almost like, um, you know, it's it just was never a um, constant feeling of anything. I was just all over the board. And um, I was nervous, but yet I was excited about the possibilities that were to come. But deep down, I just really had this feeling of my family is all split up. And I... Um, don't know what to do, and I feel like at that point I started to isolate, which was really early on in my college career. Now, did everybody, those of you who listen here in college, go to college, went to college with us, yes, I was still outgoing and doing all of these things, but I want to challenge us to have a thought here to really open our hearts and minds to the fact that you and I can never assume that we know what's going on in the four walls of somebody's house, heart, and life. And so there was a lot going on. Oh, I was being the authentic me. I, I am very outgoing. I, I'm kind of crazy um, sometimes and everything. I, I love to have fun. And, and um, at that time, I was very spontaneous and everything. But all of these emotions were going on at one time. And I was doing these things not just as a freshman without my family. I mean, I was we were all really doing life on our own. Yeah. There was a lot of environmental triggers that were that were happening that were kind of triggering probably something that was already there. Yeah, in a definitely. Lot of ways. That's a good way to put it. And so, so you were kind of entering where I think it was it was confusing. 
but you were entering some of these anorexic kind of behaviors mm-hmm. and thought processes. But I think it was a lot of these, just there were so many things happening in a couple years' time there that that was how you you're, you were dealing with it in some ways. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of almost just ready to, to, to happen. It was just the right doors had to be open, and those were all opened. That's right. And it's just like eating disorder that had probably been um, not ever verbalized or talked about because nobody talked about eating disorder then. It wasn't just yeah. my family. It wasn't just my university. Um, well, you even look back to that time frame. I mean, that time frame is really where like a lot of the top, even top eating disorder programs and in, in places around the country were just getting their start, you know. Yeah. Because it was just becoming... Okay, there's treatment, it's being identified as an illness, and it was all kind of just brand new. And so it was, you know, there weren't a lot, there weren't a lot of resources for help, let's put it that way at that time. Even if you'd had the, 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 the financial resources to pursue help, there just wasn't a lot out there. There wasn't, and it's like I was a loose cannon with all these feelings. And you put a, a person who is guy or girl newly out of their home and they get to a university and there's all these new options and these things going on and then you put somebody there who's just lost the kind of core um, of their life, their family, and you've got kind of a perfect storm ready for one of these uh, struggles to really begin to take place and really become the core instead of, in my case, instead of the family or in now God. Yeah. So. Well, and so kind of this, this became a part of your life, as, as we've said. It kind of is a, is, well, to say it's a thread, it makes it too small. It's mm-hmm. much bigger. It's a, it's just a whole kind of series of threads that have woven throughout your life. Um, but as you kind of move that forward um, and looking ahead, you know, like you said, we dated, we ended up getting married, within a couple of years of our of our marriage, you know, you probably in some ways, and, and this is a blend of two things, me being naive and me being probably not noticing it, but also probably you kind of keeping it under wraps in some pl- you know, ways mm-hmm. and, and, and in some ways kind of having your thumb on it versus it having your, its thumb on you. Mm-hmm. But then we had a really traumatic experience in that, you know, a couple of years into our marriage, um, you get pregnant and within a few months a miscarriage happens and just a really difficult emotional time. Mm-hmm. And so I think during that and after that, you look back and say, okay, the anorexia really was like, okay, it's rising to the surface and saying, I'm going to take over for a while. Well, yeah, and being a girl, and this is true about a lot of guys too, but I had always been around a lot of dieting, even in college. And yeah. so I just thought, well, I'm just dieting. And so then when I had the miscarriage, I realized, wow, this is so much bigger than that. It's something that I can't eat even if I want to without getting sick. And again, a crisis came through. There was the divorce, then the miscarriage. There were a lot of really great things in between there. Um, And there always have been. But the thing that has that was really going to start controlling me and my life and my decisions and my thought process became the anorexia. Mm-hmm. And um, I can remember 
I got pregnant on the birth control pill. Um, I was one of the few that will do that. Um, and um, I ended up being anorexic with all three pregnancies, and we'll unfold that a little bit later. But I do want to say that um, with having anorexia with the first pregnancy, that the baby stopped growing because when you're pregnant, you need to be able to say, sustain yourself plus the baby, that growing child. Yeah. And that was not happening. And so when we would go to the doctor three and four times a week and that got to be more and more frequent than even that, to see if there was a heartbeat or different things, the heartbeat was slowing down and different things. And so it was really seemed like an, an unfolding of a really slow motion situation until I did have a car accident um, and it was, it was a pretty bad accident and, um, there was some internal bleeding and the baby, he didn't, he didn't make it. Um, so there was that combo combination of things that, that happened that ended up me needing to have a few DNCs and, um, and, um, them taking him. So that is not something that I breeze by and just go, well, that's just one of the steps that anorexia came out um, through. That was a huge time for Doug and I. And we've mentioned before that we really didn't know how to grieve together, so we did grieve separately during that. And my anorexia was full-blown yeah. at that point. I was uh, But what's interesting sick. is we didn't... I don't know if we even... I don't know if you knew how to define it. And what's... You know, what's scary out of this, you, you mentioned the dieting and the diet culture. You know, we've learned a lot. Uh, we're both involved um, with different groups, um, you know, treatment professionals. We're part of the Oklahoma Eating Disorder Association. And there's a lot of great information out there that, that, that just talks about how um, prevalent dieting is and the diet culture leading into eating disorders. Mm-hmm. It's not 100% guaranteed. doesn't happen to everybody. But it is a big gateway. Yeah, it really is. And it's is. dangerous. And I think, you know, looking back, I can see thinking, okay, Stacy uh, strives to eat healthy. She doesn't eat a lot. She's kind of dieting. She's watching what she eats. And I think, as, as we've talked before, we're sitting there as, as a young couple, and I'm not, I'm not cluing in at all to what's really going on in your, your head and your mind around food, that it's scary, it's overwhelming, and that... Um, you know, anorexia is really, and I think part of it was denial too, but also there was a lack of knowledge. I remember, you know, our main doctor during that season of time was not a, you know, not a mental health professional, but he, he, he probably for a year had all kinds of different things he was having you do, having us do, recommending, wanting us to go to, and never once did an eating disorder or anorexia pop up on the, on his radar mm-hmm. and come to us. And I, and I think not to put a blame on that, I think it's just that there was such a lack of awareness mm-hmm. and, and maybe even for you, a lack of awareness, you're, you're not visibly thinking, okay, I'm living in anorexia, but you're experiencing all the symptoms and all the realities of it. It was just maybe something we hadn't even fully defined and we didn't know how to define it at that time. Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely right. Um, I think I was trying to keep my head above water. Yeah. I think I was still dealing with my parents' divorce. Yeah. Um, I think I was trying to deal with being not only an adult, but a married, young married adult, someone who hadn't planned to get pregnant for a few more years, and then to experience um, being sick a lot. Um, 
with the pregnancy and then uh, to be afraid to eat with being pregnant and then the the car accident and then the loss of the baby and then the surgeries. Yeah, I think anybody would look at that and picture it being, um, for lack of a better analogy, a full plate. I yeah. did not. I was getting, I was drowning at that point. We we probably, and I think today, like like Phoebe talked about even a few you know weeks ago, there'd be a lot more openness to therapy. I was just sitting here thinking, man, we really needed therapy yeah. at, at 25. But I can say for me, I'm not going to put this on you at all. For me, I was probably too proud, didn't understand it, didn't think, oh, we don't need that. But looking back, I'm thinking, man, um, we both could have benefited from that and how healthier we might have been and who knows what we could have cut off at the past in some ways. So, But, you know, um, as you said, God's been faithful and God's mm-hmm. been faithful even through that, even when we couldn't define what you were going through and we were going through. God has been faithful. Well, so. yeah, and you know, even after we we lost our son um, and everything, I was, we were both devastated. God just continuously ushered in um, His grace, His love, and all I could feel was devastation, and I ate mm-hmm. less and less, even at that point, because of the guilt. And I do think, you know, as part of that too, Stace, is that. You were battling an illness. Mm-hmm. And so as you look to, as you feel some guilt and blame, and I know you, you struggle with that, and we still talk about that some, and that's mm-hmm. still part of, um, you know, your story. The reality is for you and for those that are listening is that, you know, you were battling an illness. We didn't yeah. know what that illness was, mm-hmm. and we didn't know the absolute power it had, mm-hmm. but it was something you were battling, and you were fighting it on your own. Yeah. And you were fighting it even without me probably being there knowing how to support you. I was there, but I didn't know how to support you in it. So kind of fast-forwarding um, a couple more years then, uh, you know, we find ourselves and our kids are, are young and we, we have two children and we are serving in a church and I'm on the ministerial staff there. And that's bringing back, I know, a lot of kind of tough ex- memories mm-hmm. and, and kind of resurfacing a lot of tough things for you because you grew up in that and, and had a lot of, um, I think, just difficult experiences and certainly things that were, you know, probably almost in some ways reliving some trauma that had happened to you when you were younger. So I think we get to that place and, and, and we kind of hit a wall again to where, where, okay, maybe for a time after you know, our kids were born, again, you got your thumb on top of it and now it's kind of turning the tables again on you. Mm-hmm. So kind of what was happening for you there and just what all was going on when, when you kind of describe that as the tables being turned, it really, I think, um, the anorexia, for lack of a better way of saying it, it really took over. It really did. And the a few words that would kind of grip me um, sometimes when, I, when we were in the ministry uh, were fear, um, inadequacy, nervous insecure. Yeah. Um, I would compare myself a lot to other people on staff and um, they didn't seem to have the same wounds as I did. Um, their momentum was different and uh, I... And all those factors, looking back to what you were saying you discovered even in college, so anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, fear, kind of lonely, all those th- factors are, are being kind of 
outwardly demonstrated through anorexia. That's right. I mean, what's going on on the inside, you're, you're trying to speak to me and trying to speak out loud. You now speak out loud with your <laughs> words, but you were trying to speak out loud through the anorexia at that time. That's something you were really struggling with. That's right. And here's the deal. We all have struggles. Some are mental illness considered in that category. Some are not. Some, some people can cover up and um, keep their struggle a secret and never have to talk about it perhaps or get to go to a, a, a place and um, get help and nobody ever know about it. And I'm not saying that's any less difficult, but that has not been my experience. The things that I've dealt with have been very outward. People know when you're sick and malnourished looking, um, perhaps. I don't think it's always safe to jump to eating disorder, but people are getting word of that being my case, my situation. So not only was that obvious, but when I was eating less, the depression was only growing. Yeah. And so that was more of an outward thing because when you're extroverted and you're in the big middle of a lot of things in a youth group and you're just getting to um, be a mom and a wife and um, get to help mentor all these teenage girls and college girls. Um, when that starts to shift into not being possible because the things in your mind are controlling you and overrunning your life, that is obvious. Yeah. That became very obvious. Well, and, 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 you know, some of the doctors and therapists we've had a chance to work with have talked a lot about, you kind of get on that, you know, crash spiral, if you will, because, you know, a lot of the medicines that they would prescribe to, to help with uh, depression, maybe anxiety, those kind of things, those aren't able to work properly if you're not eating enough food. That's right. And so the fact that you're, you know, you're struggling with eating anorexia and also struggling with these other issues, it's just kind of like they were, they were, they were just feeding off each other. Mm -hmm. And instead of pushing you up, they were, they were driving you down. And I think that, um, and it was happening in front of everyone. Yeah. It was, we were in front of people all the time, which is great when you feel good. Yeah. And it's great when your ministry's going wonderful and, and your kids are thriving and everything and your marriage is thriving. But when those things start to be chipped away at and people are watching that happen, wow. It, it, it makes it harder. It just it just it just kind of ramps up that pressure. Mm-hmm. And so I know you were you were feeling that. Um, you know, the, those last several years when we were in that position, it was really difficult. And I think, you know, we look back and think, okay, you know, we, we ended up getting out and making some other decisions about career. Um, but those last few years were really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that you were really struggling. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in that time period, Stace, there was, uh, you know, um, so we were beginning the mental health journey and you were beginning to get some help. And that was mm-hmm. looking like different things. You spent a little bit of time at uh, Laureate, the hospital, where you ended up spending time later, too. And so all of those things were, were a big part of that. But um, it, kind of that, that summary probably statement for that whole time period is that you just couldn't, almost that image of we're pressing up against the door, trying to hold it outside. Mm-hmm. And, you know. The water is so high. And and the, the door gets knocked down. It's kind of like that, almost like that cartoon where mm-hmm. the door gets knocked over and we're laying underneath it and it all just comes flooding in. Right. And I think you were 
you just got to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to speak to your position, Doug, that you were in, in that situation. Um, you know, you had your MDiv, 97 hours master's degree, and our hearts were, even in the fear and even in the turbulence of it, was to be in the ministry, formal ministry, for the rest of our marriage, for the rest of our lives, raise our children in that environment. Um, we hadn't felt like any other thing was going to happen. This sure. is what we were called to. And so you, as the father, my husband, the provider of our family and our situation, were coming home at night and seeing me rapidly declining in so many ways and I can remember on Saturday night sitting in the garage when we would put the girls to bed and I'd be sitting on the floor in the garage and you'd come out there and talk with me and I would beg you to please please help me and in your mind you were helping me because you were providing money insurance in order for me to get the help that I needed there is no blame no matter where you are to the person who is sick in this situation we doug was absolutely doing his best to help me because there's no doubt in my mind that you were trying to get me from point a to point b if even one step but you know we're created different our minds work different and I was done, and you were trying to hold on for dear life to try to make sure that we had the money to get to the next week. Yeah. And so it was very conflicting in my understanding of not knowing why won't he hear me? Why won't he help me if we can just have a break from anything? I can maybe get my sea legs, and I can make it past this, but that was not going to be true. And I think you knew it, and it was very scary for you as the provider of our family. The illness was, was just bigger than both of us. And I think, you know, I described it at the very beginning in our, in our first podcast as, you know, I was the guy that was in a completely black hallway just trying to find the door, but didn't have a, didn't have a clue, feeling my way along, didn't know where it was, and couldn't find it, mm-hmm. couldn't find it for us. But... Uh, you know, fortunately, through a number of things, again, God's faithfulness, yep. even in yep. really painful, difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. God's faithfulness and faithfulness to us, even through uh, people we were working with there and serving mm-hmm. with in that church. Um, they really God helped. took care of us yeah. and, and got us to a place where we took that next step. And, and um, yeah, we kind of, we got out of the, that situation and... Getting out didn't change the illness, didn't change what you were battling, but it it made it possible maybe for you to actually fight the battle. Exactly, exactly. I think that's a perfect way to put it. And, you know, the same part of you and the same love that has grown so much in you for me that was trying to hold our family together has only gotten stronger. Um, Before we go on today, I wanted to um, end this time with reading to you a brief letter out of my book, You Are Worth Saving Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart. And uh, this one, this letter is called Beyond Survival, and it's about a time that I thought I would never speak of, and um, especially not to a whole audience 
um, when I speak in person or to a podcast audience. Uh, this is something that was very shameful for me at the time, but it ended up being a way to save my life. And this is my take on being in a psychiatric ward. Beyond survival, dear friend, not too long ago, I sat in a small glass-walled room. The view through the window, gorgeous green and orange leaves in a fortress of trees, went on as far as I could see. Though wanting to stay focused on the foliage, I was finding, fighting deep emotions, and I became distracted by the conversations occurring in pockets around me. I was exhausted, but interested in what was being said. I moved to a sofa by the window, alone, but still close enough to be included. As one conversation faded, I began to get engaged in another one. The first girl I met was 19, a college student and newly away from home, facing a lot of new pressures. Right after the semester began, her boyfriend of two years abruptly broke up with her. Overwhelmed by this broken relationship, she became depressed and turned to bulimia. She was lonely in her new situation and the bulimia was a distraction. She was afraid of not fitting in. What if she couldn't? A young girl with blonde hair sat alone. She was responsive toward others' comments, but that was all. She made no verbal connection unless directly spoken to, and even then, her answers were short and tired. She lived at home with her mom and sister, and right after high school, she had begun working full-time at a nursing home. Her days were long, and she just couldn't leave an elderly friend in a wet or dirty bed, so she stayed until she felt her job was done. She was a sweet girl who had trouble saying no and the integrity to complete her daily task at minimal pay. She became exhausted and overworked. A little red-headed Greek lady, very well-spoken and sophisticated, made her way over to sit next to me. She was spunky and funny. Her voice carried throughout the little glass room, but she was confident and didn't mind. She was a high school principal, a proud grandma. Her joy, she claimed it came from Jesus. Nevertheless, unspoken life disappointment had taken a toll on her, and pills for depression had become too many, too frequent. A young man, humble and unassuming, around 22, walked up. He was supposed to be graduating from college and on his way back to on his way to medical school, but his family expectations to follow previous generations of doctors were just too much. He was disappointed in himself for failing at this tradition, and he believed others were too. Others he cared about so deeply. Depression and overwhelming fears of failure played a dark hole in him mentally. He didn't want to live. The person I came to know last, but perhaps the best, was intimidating to me. She was guarded, missing her husband and little girls who she barely got to kiss goodbye many days ago, it seemed. Although outwardly engaged in the group, she was hurting deeply and her mind was relentless with shameful thoughts. Her body was weak. Her hollow face was striving to show the desire to live, but not as life was currently. Hard knocks long before her marriage had even began um, were no longer tolerable. Outgoing melted into not going. An agreement with negative thoughts from the enemy when she made a mistake was a given. Praying scriptures and recalling God's promises were prominent in her life. 
yet the fog of oppression would just not lift. In this new environment, she felt safe, understood, and helped. The way our bodies function, the way our minds work is very delicate. Depression, anxiety, and chemical imbalance are real. My mind actually stopped producing enough serotonin and I got sick. The last person I describe above was me. I became exhausted from being a grown-up well before my time. I kept trying to run ahead of the things I needed to let God heal, but I couldn't run anymore, and I became sick enough to be placed in the intensive care unit of a mental hospital. I didn't eat by myself, go to the restroom by myself, or rest alone during my stay. My pretty shoes were now held closed by black tape so that I wouldn't use the laces to hurt myself. Each time I looked down, I saw the tape and I felt scared of myself, but I was alive, and this is exactly where I needed to be. I wanted so much just to hold my red-headed girls and be a godly mom. I desperately wanted to be the minister's wife who had it all together, or at least something together, like those I served with. But I wasn't, and I didn't. I felt old and used up and discouraged that I had had to be good enough I had to be good enough for days to earn my razor back so I could shave the legs that had finally stopped running. Although this hospital did have extreme cases, I was mostly surrounded by people like you and me. They were precious and they were fighters, or perhaps they wouldn't have even made it to the hospital. All of my life I've been a pleaser and a peacemaker. I have cared deeply I have loved deeply, I have struggled deeply, and I have served God deeply, but I have also been suicidal because my mind hurt, and I thought I was feeling those around me in my view deeply. But little by little, I'm seeing this grace, this wasn't God's view, and since He has loved me since before my name was even Stacy, He knows just how to heal me deeply. This melts me. Here's the truth. I'm not an isolated case. These days of isolation were part of me becoming to the point, part of me coming to the point where I could begin to say, I'm afraid and I need your help, Jesus. In my weakness and brokenness, he ushered in his strength and compassion, and I see that now. He will do the same for you, my friend, right where you are. You are not alone. Please know that Jesus sees you and he loves you and he has a plan for you that far surpasses survival. Please read these words for today. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And that comes from Psalm 139, 13 through 14. And that's just the little part I wanted to share from Beyond Survival, Letters to a Friend, from my book, You Are Worth Saving. Well, I think that that, um, as we get into your story, Stace, and as we share your story, and kind of this, this, this kind of whole, just bolt of cloth, if you will, instead of just a thread that, that is woven through your life of, of an eating disorder, uh, I love as we come to kind of a stopping point today, how yeah. we can end on that hope. And we can end on um, just even it was a difficult time and such a hard time how God out of our brokenness speaks to us mm-hmm. and can speak to others in maybe better, more powerful, 
more meaningful ways than he can in any other parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, He's there's a hope in there. He's he a restorer. And that's where we want to leave at any point in our story, even at some of the darker points and the harder points, we certainly want to leave and, and talk about hope. That's and right. our, our goal and our purpose out of this podcast is to share hope, to bring encouragement to those who struggle, to those who love them. And uh, that's why we're doing the Speak Out Loud podcast. So thanks for sharing that, Stace. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing your story and your heart. Hey, if you'd like to get a copy of Stacy's book, mm-hmm. um, it's You Are Worth Saving, Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart. You can find that on Amazon. You can order it and get a copy of that. And uh, we'd love uh, for you to check that out. You can also follow her Follow us at uh, Speak Out Loud, which is Facebook, Instagram, and speakoutloud.me, which is a blog and kind of a general site where it has a lot of this information on there. So, hey, thanks for sharing that today, Stace. Thanks Absolutely. for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back in our next episode and, and continue on with this topic of anorexia and eating disorders. We mm-hmm. were kind of thinking through this. We realized, man, we cannot just cover all this ground and, and get into it in one episode. Right. And so we, we were kind of laying this out, thinking it may be more than two episodes. It could be several here in a row. Um, so we hope you'll come back and listen. Listen to Please more do. of the yeah. recovery story and kind of leading up to where we are today and, and just what it's like to and fight an ongoing battle mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know with a chronic illness, but also how God... Uh, brings glory and how he's been glorified in the midst of that battle. Mm-hmm. And I think that is part of the amazingness of the story that um, we want to make sure to be able to share. And we also know that really that's the source and the root of all hope in our lives and that we could possibly help point you to as well uh, to find hope in your story and in your journey. So, hey, until next time, we look forward to talking to you again. Yes. Thank you for being here today. And uh, God bless you guys.